0: Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, July 3rd, 2022, is entitled Washed. It's a reflection on a reading from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Today, our scripture reading and our sermon are rolled together. And so we hear today, this Sunday, on Biblical Lifestyles of the Rich, Famous, Powerful, and Privileged, from the Hebrew Bible, from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. In this passage, we hear the story of Naaman, mighty general of the army of Aram, that is, modern-day Syria, victorious in battle against many nations, including against God's people in the lesser, smaller, weaker kingdom of Israel. But underneath his armor, Naaman carries a secret. He suffers from one of the uncomfortable, unsightly, and socially stigmatized skin conditions, then known as leprosy. Only Naaman's wife, a great lady in her own right, shares this knowledge. But one night in her distress... She confides in her servant girl, who tells her of the healing power of the prophet Elisha among her own people in Israel. Naaman's wife tells Naaman, who tells his lord, the king of Syria, who in turn sends Naaman to the king of Israel, bearing many fine gifts gold and silver and fine clothing, and a letter saying, I am sending my general Naaman to you so that you might cure him of his leprosy. Which request sets the king of Israel trembling with fear. He's quite sure it's a trap that the king of Syria, his rival, his superior, in fact, has made this impossible request. After all, who can cure leprosy? That he's made this request in order to provoke an international incident and an excuse for war which Israel will surely lose again. The king dramatically tears his clothing, a traditional sign of mourning and repentance in anticipation of their defeat. But when Elisha, the prophet of God, the prophet of the God of Israel, hears this, he sends word to the king to send Naaman to him at the sanctuary in Samaria. Naaman is desperate So he goes, but he's not so desperate that he isn't insulted when the prophet himself refuses to come out and meet him personally, but rather only sends a servant out to the curb with this simple instruction, wash seven times in the river Jordan and you will be healed. That's it. Name and things I expected more a little hand-waving, a magical incantation, some complex ritual. I definitely expected that the prophet would wait on me personally. I mean, I'm the general of the king of Syria for the God's sake, and I've come all this way to see him. Syria's got rivers, better rivers. What's so special about the Jordan? And Naaman began to make preparation to return home in a huff. But just then, his own servant spoke up saying my lord if the prophet had told you to do something difficult you would have done it and you have come all this way why not go and do as the prophet says if it pleases my lord go to this jordan river wash see what happens so naaman goes down to the jordan he wades out into the water and immerses himself seven times just as the prophet had told him. And at once he was cured. Simple as that. Well, kind of. Actually, not really simple at all. If this world teaches us anything, it's that almost nothing is ever as simple as that. And this story, like so many in our own lives today, is definitely not as simple as it seems on the surface. Though this may seem like a story about the rich and powerful, the movers and shakers, after all, there are generals and kings and great ladies and even mighty prophets of God, full of high drama and international intrigue, there is so much more to it. Beneath the surface, just out of sight. Because look closely, and you'll see that this story turns not on the decisions of the high and mighty, who come off rather poorly in the course of the story, in fact, kind of silly, but rather on the actions of the little folks, the nobodies behind the scenes particularly this servant girl from the land of Israel who serves Naaman's wife. In the grand scheme of things, she is four times powerless. She is young, a woman, a foreigner, and enslaved. If you'll pardon me setting aside the euphemism of servant. She is the very definition of a nameless nobody. Who should be seen and not heard, and rarely seen, if at all. Yet, along with Naaman's own servants, this young woman risks discipline, even death, for speaking up. For even just acknowledging they've been listening to their mistress and master's conversations, much less acknowledge actually daring to offer them advice. But they represent the voice and direction of God's own self in this story. Without them, without the knowledge, the wisdom and perseverance and courage of these no accounts, there literally would be no story and certainly no healing. Yes, there are mighty rivers in Syria and in Israel, but the holy healing river of the power of God flows underground on the margins through these very ones deemed powerless by the powers that be. Our God works consistently through the lowest and the least, a slave girl, a disregarded people, a baby born in a manger and killed on a cross in order to undermine the world as it is and create the world as it should be at long last. Naaman himself sees it finally. When in the very next verse of the story, the lesions leave his body and the scales fall from his eyes, he rises from the waters and returns to the prophet to announce that he knows with all his heart And mind and soul and strength that the God of Israel isn't just the God of Israel, but the God of and for the whole world, the God of my servants, these human souls I have taken captive and held enslaved is my God, too. The one who thought of himself as the main character recognizes God at work in the lives of those who labor behind the scenes, unsung. Whose stories, even whose names, he has forgotten if he ever knew them. With this essential insight, Naaman's self-understanding shifts his position and his purpose. And he becomes a servant himself, a servant of the servant God of servant people, no longer a paragon of worldly privilege, but a slave of heavenly grace, freed to work on behalf of God's topsy-turvy justice in the world. Titus Kafar. The artist whose 2017 painting, Shifting the Gaze, forms the basis for the image on our bulletin cover today has made a career out of turning the white Eurocentric history of art inside out and upside down. As a young man, Kafar, who is African-American taught himself to paint by visiting art museums before going on to earn degrees from San Jose State and Yale University. He now takes the very sort of paintings he saw in those museums as a young person, paintings by white European and Euro-American artists, paintings that form the overwhelming majority of museum collections in this country and around the world. And he alters them to bring out the black figures hidden quite literally in the background of those pictures or in the historical background of the subjects. The copy of Rembrandt Peel's 1800 portrait of President Thomas Jefferson that forms the basis of Kafar's 2014 Behind the Myth of Benevolence appears in his hands to be stripped away to reveal a portrait of Sally Hemings, a black woman Jefferson held enslaved, raped, and impregnated. Sadly but perhaps not unsurprisingly this painting has some has enraged some white viewers to the degree that it has been damaged 3 times while on display at the National Portrait Gallery where it now has been assigned a security guard In shifting the gaze the image on our bulletin cover Kafar painted a copy of a 20 of a 17th century family portrait by Dutch artist Franz Halls. In a startling move, Kaffar finished the painting live on stage during a TED talk. As the notes from a 2019 exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum put it, he picked up a large paintbrush and proceeded to obliterate many of the white figures in the painting with broad strokes of white paint, leaving a black boy as the center of the composition. By shifting the spectator's gaze to the boy, believed to be a family servant, Kafar brings into focus individuals who are often deliberately overlooked in the historical record for reasons that include race, class, or gender. By doing so, he makes a case for the need to write new, more honest and inclusive histories. Inspired by our scripture reading today and by Kafar's art, my point on this Independence Day weekend is that without more honest and inclusive histories and without the vision to see, to really see a more honest and inclusive present moment, we aren't very likely to move into a more honest and inclusive future the way we say we want to do as a nation. When we insist on whitewashing history and relegating people of color and women and queer folks and transgender folks and disabled folks and poor folks and so many othered others to the background of the straight, white, cisgendered, able-bodied male story we've been taught in school. Well, as the scriptures say, 1 John 1, 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, at least not nearly as much of the truth as we need. Because, of course, American history is the history of all Americans, of everyone, every soul, native and colonizer and immigrant, master and enslaved, rich and poor, who has walked this ground breathed this air, when we treat others, any others as merely footnotes or sidebars or exceptional exceptions to the real story of generals and kings and senators and bishops and businessmen, let's be honest, our story, we inevitably miss out on the power of God at work where Jesus tells us to look for it first, Among those the world deems lowest and least and very most least likely. And friends, at this present moment in our nation's history, when bad is called good and good bad, where lies are bought and sold and history cut and pasted in order to protect the power of the few at the expense of the many, where the rights of so many are being stripped away before our very eyes in the name of some kind of freedom. If this present crisis teaches us anything, it's that half-truths are not enough. In fact, they're downright dangerous. They seep into the ground. They sicken individuals and kill communities and poison and warp our national life. No, if our nation is to move forward together into a better story, not a false story of former glory back when America was great, but a new and better story, a better future together, we must be willing to wade out into the waters, unfamiliar waters, we must be willing to immerse ourselves and be washed clean not to be sure the waters of our particular christian faith but the wider waters of the wider truth to which we hope to point the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god with liberty and justice for an all that actually means all no matter how uncomfortable unfamiliar, even painful that truth may be for us to hear. We must be willing, like Naaman, to have everything we thought we knew, every privilege we've ever enjoyed, be washed, be stripped away, and stand naked and trembling before a freedom, a divine freedom that is indeed deeper and wider and larger and more graceful than we have ever imagined. That is the freedom, that is the only freedom that will heal us. God's freedom that turns the world inside out and upside down, that acknowledges the gifts of God among people we have overlooked and ostracized for far too long. Frankly, I believe that like Naaman, our only hope of surviving this moment with the soul of our nation intact lies in our willingness as folk who stand in proximity to power and privilege to acknowledge this painful truth. Immerse ourselves in the creativity, the wisdom, the resilience, the beauty, and the unshakable joy of the very people we have treated as simply supporting characters in our own centered story. This Independence Day, God calls us to shift our gaze, to move outside of ourselves and see ourselves at last, ourselves and our neighbors and our world and our God in new ways that will make us new, all of us new, all together. I pray that we find the courage to do so. And so beloved, if you have heard a word from God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator Christ and Holy Spirit. Amen.